Welcome to Keeping It Marian. I'm Father Thaddeus. And I'm Father Timothy. We are two Marian priests, and together with Mary, we keep the Word of God and the events of our daily lives, pondering them in our hearts. Today, we're Keeping It Marian by trucking through a few more verses from the letter of Jude, verses 11 through 13. So we only have about 10 left after this, so we're inching our way, getting there pretty close. uh, Yeah, we're at the the halfway point, just about. Yeah, Yeah. I feel a little accomplished. I wanted to start with something that was a bit smaller so that we could actually see how this goes with a whole letter from the New Testament. Jude is, you know, enough to get our feet wet as we try this podcast out. We'll we'll move on over to John after this. Yes. Yes. Okay. Do you want to read or do you want me to read? I'll go ahead and read. Okay. Starting with verse 11. Woe to them. They follow the way of Cain, abandon themselves to Balaam's error for the sake of gain, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are blemishes on your love feasts as they carouse fearlessly and look after themselves. They are waterless clouds blown about by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead and uprooted. They are like wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shameless deeds, wandering stars for whom the gloom of darkness has been reserved forever. Wow. I know I said this before, but sometimes I kind of feel like I uh, should tell St. Jude to uh, cheer up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very happy stuff here. <laughs> Usually when we think about uh, the gospel, you know, we want good news. Sure. And here it seems like Jude is pretty intent on uh, some of the, the bad news. But something I remember uh, when I was in Poland years ago for a conference in Lichen, our, our shrine for the Association of Marian Helpers, there was a woman, a professor at one of the universities in Poland. She commented, the gospel isn't complete unless you also talk about sin, unless you also talk about the bad news. And the point isn't to be a downer, uh, but there's truth that, you know, if Jesus came to save us and we don't know what he saved us from, then what's so good about it? We don't really understand the greatness of his mercy if we also don't understand uh, just how bad sin really is. Mm. And so we have Jude here painting a a really stark picture of what sin is, which is kind of hard to take in, you know, at least on my end. I don't know your experience, but... No, well, I mean, the whole start uh, of of this portion starts with that woe to them. (laughs) And before we started recording, we were talking about, you know, every time I hear the word woe, I think of you know, cowboy shows when I was growing up and, and uh, you know, somebody's horse is running away and they're like, whoa, whoa, and they're, they're trying to yeah. get it to stop. And and oftentimes they're, well, trying to prevent something horrible from happening, like the horse running off a cliff with the guy on top of it or what have you. Um, and there is a, a sense or an element of that to the use of woe. Right. It's kind of like this final warning in a yeah. sense. Like, you are so close to the edge that there is no coming back from. Right. Turn around, right? And, and of course, uh, words like repent, you know, oftentimes we only, with, well, with many words, we, we only kind of see them as single note things. And we've lost sense of the richness of, yeah. of words, uh, that there's multiple meanings embedded here. Yeah. And with the word repent, there's absolutely a a sense of be be contrite for your sins, be um, you know sorrowful, those types of things. 
But repent also simply means to turn. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and so often I like to tell people that that our whole lives, you know, living uh, in conformity to the gospels is a kind of constant repentance that mm -hmm. is a constant reorienting ourselves mm -hmm. back to Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, and here it's like the needle is if we're supposed to be going north towards Christ, you know, if he's the north star, if you will, in this analogy. Well, at this point, the needle is just about as far south as you can get, you know, and and, yes. and so the writer here, Jude, is like, you guys wake up. Yeah. Because um, yeah. it's not too late, you know, as long as they have breath, you know, yeah. so to speak, as long as they, you know, uh, yeah, there's a there's a death and then there's a death, you know, and so he's really trying to get people's attention, as we'll see as we continue on. Yes. I mean, to jump ahead, he mentions here that. They're twice dead and uprooted, which, you know, is, again, like a stark mench, uh, stark description. But the idea is they were dead because of sin before baptism or before uh, knowing Christ. And then they're dead again because now they've turned away from Christ, which is, you know, even worse. Right. But so I'm from Texas. You know, those who know me uh, get frustrated by how often I mention that at times. But uh, I grew up uh, next to a, a rodeo mm. and I actually began to prepare for the rodeo. I did, you know, oh. Clover leaves, and I began to learn how to lasso, and so I've literally had to say "whoa" a few times to the horse barreling down the uh, the area where we had it fenced in. And this is—I just must interject here because this is literally the first time I've ever heard anything about your rodeo what? aspirations. Seriously, I feel like so. Jesus saying, "I've lived with you for how long, and still you do not know <laughs> You've me." You've not shared this ever when I've been around. Maybe you oh, said okay. it to other well. people, but uh, no, I'm just picturing it. But you can continue now. I just yeah. I... So Simonton, Texas. I was showing the novices, in fact, today okay. uh, where I grew up, and yeah. there's Roundup Rodeo. And short piece of trivia is that President Nixon met the Chinese Communist president for the first time on U.S. soil. There at Roundup Rodeo in my little podunk town in Texas, okay. outside of Houston. Wow. As a little clandestine way to meet for the first time. So anyway, uh, the particular horse I was given that day had a uh, a bumblebee or a honeybee put its stinger in its rumpus. Okay. And so the trainer purposely gave me this horse okay. uh, to, to test me. So I remember the horse running straight to the fence and I was saying, whoa, to try and get it to pull back and it didn't. And I was a little afraid for, not my life, but I was expecting that the horse was going to stop and I was going to fly off. Right. Uh, so it was a, a living example of what you're talking about, how, you know, woe to try to stop. And it's a good way to understand that woe can sound like a condemnation. You know, you read these words and it can fill us with this like shame of like, oh, you know, they're calling us horrible sinners. And, you know, Jesus himself says like, woe to you who are rich. Yeah. And, and it's more like my experience with the horse of like, I see danger mm -hmm. and we're trying to like, listen, stop, pull back, do something. Yeah. Because I don't want something worse to befall you. And in seen in that context, it's more a statement of love yeah. than like condemnation because one could read it with like this angry voice, like, woe to them, you know, you horrible person. <laughs> or you could read it as a father who's saying like, you know, my children, like, whoa, you know, and that's where it's like calamity, you know, destruction is, you know, a stop sign before them. Uh, so good image uh, relates definitely yeah. uh, to my own life. So, and then it helps us with the, the proper context again, or it's a reminder of why is you writing this? Is he just right. trying to give people the riot act? No, he, he, like all of the writers, you know, whether in the new Testament or the old Testament are, are trying to get people's attentions right. um, to 
recognize that they might be on the wrong track. Right. You know? And here there's there's definitely people that, that he's speaking to that are on the wrong track and worse of all, leading others in that right. wrong way. Which as a quick mention, you know, James in his letter, he actually says, like, be careful if you want to be a teacher. Yes. Because he comments, it's it's a pretty strict judgment for this reason that you're responsible not only for yourself and living according to the gospel for your own life, but yep. now yep. you're going to lead other people. So so let's go with Jude here. Woe to them, they follow the way of Cain. So here's an, another triplet. You know, Jude, we mentioned in earlier episodes, he, he loves triplets. So we yep. have here Cain, Balaam, and Korah, all from the books in the very beginning of the Bible, from Genesis, Exodus, uh, and Numbers. Yep. Sorry, and Numbers, because Balaam and Korah are both in Numbers. My apologies. So Cain here is an example. So this is from the Navarre commentary. It's very good in breaking this down. A model of unbelief and fratricide, uh, and also a model of those, of someone who led others astray. Yeah. Uh, so in intertestamental literature, you know, Cain is kind of developed as this prototype of someone who led others astray. And in each of these examples, we see that their sin is so bad because God warned them. You know, when God uh, saw that Cain was tempted to murder Abel, he went to Cain point blank and told him, sin is at your door. It's yes, lurking that's right. to mastery, but you can master it. Right. And Cain still went ahead. Yeah. And that's really the real tragedy here. We all suffer temptations, mm -hmm. you know, but it's another thing when God shows up on the scene, tells you point blank, yep. and then you say, thank you, and you go your your merry way. Uh, so, And the biblical account, you know, does show, like, there is that, as you're you know, saying, there's the extra biblical accounts uh, in Jewish lore um, that goes into more details or fleshes these things out. But just from the biblical account itself, you can see the descendants actually getting worse and worse right. and worse, bragging bragging about, hey, Cain was a bad guy. I'm worse. Lamech. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like proud of it. It's like, right. what are you doing, man? You know, you're, you know, and it's, it's, it's bizarre. I mean, but that, that does happen sometimes. You, you, I've met people who kind of revel in their wicked deeds, so to speak. Okay. I'm going to say it. I, I called you out last <laughs> oh, time for J.K. Chesterton. Well, <laughs> are you thinking what I'm thinking? I'm probably not. Oh, come on. You even have your Star Wars mug right there. <laughs> What? Who's the Star Wars character that epitomizes that that process that you just said? Anakin. So. Well, he doesn't. He do, okay. no, no, no. Well, hold, yeah, hold you, you, you gotta be careful if you're gonna <laughs> whack Star Wars with me. No, no, hold on, hold go, on. Go for it. So explain it. I don't know if it was in the set, like the actual number two out of the nine. So it came out in like twenty two thousand five. The prequels where we get to yeah. see Anakin. You know, so you see his downward spiral. Okay. And there's that last scene mm -hmm. when An uh, Anakin is fighting Obi-Wan, yep. Ben. Yeah. And Ben is like trying to talk to him. And Anakin is like, no, you're the one, you know, who's evil. And, sure. and the point I'm getting at and what you're saying is yeah. there's this real like conversion in a negative sense where Anakin, no, they can't even communicate anymore. You know, yes. he, he's, he actually like doesn't see evil as evil and actually thinks it's good. Right. And that's the real kind of terror of the situation. Yeah, yeah. And you can see it on Ben's face of like right. shock. Like you can't even bridge yeah. the gap anymore. Yeah, Anakin has been seduced by the notion that power is the only way to bring about peace. Right. You know, that this this kind of pacifist way of the Jedi of being these selfless servants is is clearly not the answer. 
he tried that route. It didn't work out because his mother died and other tragedies happened. And so he really has bought into this sense, of course, yes, power, power must be it. And perhaps, I mean, now, as, as we've you know spoken before, people don't do evil things because of the, for the sake right. of evil. And it's, and I'm glad you actually have pointed out because I've never really quite read, you know, the, the, the flaunting of one's wicked deeds, like, you, you know, or mentioning the descendants mm-hmm. of Cain here, like, it almost seems like, you know, I guess perhaps they just think that this is the way. Right. You know, look at how great I am because I right. do whatever I want to. Right. You know, uh, so. And I only point that out because in our modern context, like the, the real issue at hand is this delighting in evil. You know, it's one thing people could say, well, of course, sin has been present everywhere. But what's different is, sure, let's just say certain practices, sexual practices were yeah. prevalent in Roman and Greek sure. society. Sure. But they didn't flaunt it as good, yeah. even if they knew it was common, even if they practiced it. It was never in law enshrined as legitimate and good for society. And that's the difference now. It's like we're getting to a time where we're supposed to like celebrate these things. We're supposed to say that it's wonderful and great. So just building off what you're saying is St. Thomas talks about like how the very kind of tail end of evil is when you start to delight, you know, to boast of it like Lamech, you know, Cain's Cain's son. So Going back to the text, one thing I want to say that's also from the other commentary, the Catholic commentary on sacred scripture, and I give these names just because if people are more interested, they could read this along with us. Um, no, we don't get paid to, to promote it. <laughs> this is not an advertisement, uh, just a sincere effort of helping you learn with us uh, about the scriptures. And one thing that uh, the commentary points out that's helpful is, so in Greek, the words are in the, the past tense. So in the NAB, it puts them as past tense. They followed, they abandoned they perished. Uh, but another translation that RSV points out, it's in the present. And the idea is that these kind of sins are like prototypes. So yeah. these teachers are making present now the same kind of sin. And same for us today, because this is the word of God for us, is this same sin is present today. And as a warning also to us who are reading it to not imitate the sins that's right. uh, of the past. So that's Cain. Then there's Malam. Now that's a, a funny story in its own right because you yes. have you know his donkey warning him, yep. <laughs> um, you know, and then depending on the translation, you have you know Balaam's ass, you know, warning him. Uh, so you know it can be humorous, especially to certain people. But the point here about Balaam again is that he was specifically warned, you know, through his donkey. The Lord impeded him in many ways, and he's an example of greed and seduction. You know, so. Uh, he puts himself out as like the good guy, the upright prophet, but it's clear from the book of Deuteronomy he accepted some kind of bribe yeah. from Balak the king and seduction because he led the Israelites into idolatry and fornication. So uh, he got them to fornicate with Moabite women. He had them fall into idolatry there upon the border, uh, and that's when they were punished again. Um, then we have Phineas and, and other uh, characters come with zeal to defend yeah. God and his law. So there's Balaam, you know, greed. So Cain is fratricide, so kind of murdering a brother. Balaam for the sake of gain. And then the rebellion of Korah. Now, I know you had mentioned that earlier. This is kind of the epitome. So Korah comes before Balaam in the book of Numbers. Yeah, chronologically speaking. But he's kind of the the cream, uh, the the icing on the cake here. He's, He's a supreme example of rebellion against authority here because he rebelled against Moses and Aaron. That's right. So, which, you know, I mean, 
Yeah, he 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 kind of leads leaves rather than of course when we say he we're talking about Jude. Um, he leaves this example for the last of his triplets, right? Um, or at least his last in this particular triplet because he's yeah he's he's kind of building up to this, and ultimately I mean this this rebellion is very much in the image of the first rebellion, if you will, right. of the angels from right. you know God's authority. Um, and there is that, you know, um, kind of sense, even in all of us, where we're like, I don't want somebody over me. I I, right. I, I can do this. I, I want to do this. And the irony, um, even in this, to kind of give some context, is uh, originally God had set up for all of the Israelites to be priests. Right, yes. And, and they're like, after they start hearing the thunder, they start hearing all this crazy stuff going on, they're like, you know... Uh, how about you just handle it? <laughs> you know, we just want to be down here. And so they, they kind of give up in a sense of right. their birthright. You know, they're like, we, well, we don't, that's just too much. That's too heavy. That's, right. you know, and it is a lot. It is a lot. They give it up. And then later on, they're challenging Moses and the Levites, those who are, you know, yeah. accepted the priesthood. Yeah. And they're like, you know what? We've changed our minds. We want, you know, we're just as good as you. We can go ahead and right. do what you do. And this is this is important for, you know, in the discussion even today. Um, and we can see this 2,000 years ago mm-hmm. in early Christianity. He's he's making a direct correlation here. And we see this in other places like in, in James where they call them the elders, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but that there were people in early Christianity from these texts of the New Testament um, where there was a hierarchy within right. the Christian community. Yeah, um, he's basically again Jude, Jude is is warning his his audience: do not follow in the steps that these our older brethren, the Israelites, did. Um, recognize that Jesus Christ has set up this structure, mm-hmm. and of course, a lot of biblical scholars are like, oh no, there's no proof. And of course, <laughs> the way that they arrive at there's no proof is they're like, well, let's just take these texts, right? That have these quote unquote proofs and say they came 200 years later or yeah. they came 300 years later or they just made that up. You know, it's ridiculous, but it, I digress. You know, the point is if we want to go ahead and take this scripture as all of it being God, you know, God breathed truth of him instructing us as his people, as his sons and daughters in the way to holiness, it seems clear even in the gospels that Jesus is forming um, a hierarchy. He yeah, has his apostles, absolutely. and he has those below them, and he has those below them. Um, and so this is the the great warning here, yeah. is do not respect the structure of my church, in yeah. a sense. Like, do respect. Uh, what I was, Oh, yes, do respect. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, my, in my mind, I was thinking, do not disrespect. Yes. But yes, do respect. <laughs> Thank you for the catch. Fair <laughs> enough. I think they say like every hundred words you have a misspoken yes, word. Okay. That's okay. Like that. But yes, I'm pretty sure our audience would have, would yes, have understood. Yes, yes, but yes. No, it, it's true. And what what I think of when you mention that is like in terms of the Trinity. Yeah. God is Father. Right. And we often think of that in terms of His goodness, yep. His love. We want to call out to Him as Father in our need. But that also means He's real authority. And, and humility means placing ourselves in the position of the son and admitting I'm not the origin. I don't call the shots. Yeah. He's our father. So he gets to say ultimately what we do. 
But Christian obedience is obedience as sons, and that, that would merit its own episode, but it's not that of being slaves and just being forced. You know, right. Muslims, for instance, have an image of Allah as this almost kind of tyrant that, you know, we're just his slaves. We just do what he says. Jesus is son, and so is free, and we are free too. But we're still under his authority. And on a wider topic, you know, this gets into Protestant stuff of law and grace. But, yeah. you know, as Catholics, we think law and grace go together. Yeah. The more you submit to the law of Christ, the more you encounter grace, and the more grace you have, the more able you are to fulfill the law. Law doesn't take away freedom. It's a very kind of modern conception that if you're under the law, well, then you're burdened. And the Jews didn't understand that that way. I mean, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 119. It's the mm -hmm. longest. And it says, like, your law is sweeter to my taste than honey in the mouth. You know, I think of, for us as Americans, especially like maple syrup. Yeah. You know, fresh, good Vermont, you know, Canadian maple syrup. They're saying, like, the law of God is that sweet. Is that delightful? It does good for the soul. Yeah. And that's why it's so bad to be in a rebellion because, and we'll see in the images that come, it really takes life out of you. It doesn't lead to life right. to say like, ah, you know, let's do away with rules. And we talked about this before, you know, the examples of like sports, mm -hmm. you know, what, what sports can you play if you don't have right. rules? So unless you have something else, let's march forward. No, let's do it. Okay. So verse 12, these are blemishes on your love feast as they carouse fearlessly and look after themselves they are waterless clouds blown about by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead and uprooted. Yeah, so these love feasts, <laughs> it's an interesting phrase that can sound a bit uh, confusing here. So the Greek word here is simply agape. Mm -hmm. Many of you probably heard of that, referring to the kind of love that God has for us on the cross, the self-sacrificing love. That was synonymous in the early church for the Eucharist and for the actual meal of food, mm -hmm. uh, offered afterwards. And I've actually heard in Poland, and one of our men went to a, a, a Melkite church, I think, recently, also had an agape meal, they said, right okay. after Mass. So tradition's kind of coming back. Yeah. There's an old Latin phrase, actually, ubi misa, ibi mesa, where there is Mass, there's also the table of food. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, that correlates to this tradition. But here, Judah's saying that they are blemishes. And that the Greek word here, which is kind of interesting, is actually like a reef. Mm. a rock. And the idea is that if you're in a, a ship, then these are hidden rocks that rip holes in the sides of the ships that, that don't see that they're there. Uh, and I can't help but think years ago, Zachary King uh, gave a talk, a former Satanist at Divine Mercy Sunday about Divine Mercy. And he commented how actually one of the things that Satanists do is they actually try to enter into churches and create this discord from yes. within. They try to break it up from within. So He's pointing out, you know, these teachers are there participating in the Eucharist, promoting this licentiousness, you know, sexual immorality, this rebellion, you know, and false teaching that ultimately leads to idolatry, to worshiping a different God than the true God in Jesus Christ. So I don't know if you have something to add. I know I've been No, I mean, I, I, my <clears throat> word study does the same thing. They, they actually look at submerged rock or the reef. Mm -hmm. And they also have like what's commonly used or thought of as a, like a stain. Like when we hear like a blemish, it could be just something that's like, you know, an imperfection you right. know, or, or a smudge or something like that. But it is seeming to be the, 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 the former here, the submerged rock that's much more destructive. It's not just like an unsightly smudge, right? you know, that is driving you nuts. But no, it's, it's something that is 
again, truly dangerous, something that, that needs to be warned about because it will break the ship open. Right. Um, and, and I like that chaos. And I like that image because it's the ship is an image of the church, Noah's mm-hmm. Ark, you know, and the whole ship can be shipwrecked. How? By these blemishes in our love, which is why Paul, for instance, in First Corinthians is so yeah, adamant that's about, right. you know, beware to not eat and drink the Eucharist and draw that's judgment right. on yourself yeah. because uh, this can really cause problems in the church. And that's why the church does say you should confess mortal sins before receiving, not just to be strict in terms of sure. moral, sure. but because everything depends on how we live the Eucharist. And it's understandable why as Catholic there's so much discussion about Eucharist and confession and sins and who can receive and who cannot. Because yeah. from the very beginning, we need to be aware our love feast, our Eucharist need to be celebrated in a way that honors God uh, because it's so easy for everyone to kind of participate and we're really not all worshiping the same God. Yeah, you know? Absolutely. And we're not living according to the love that we celebrate. Yeah. Because very easy today, what happens is you say, well, God is love and people understand is a very carnal love. You know, promoting sexual, you know, licentiousness is like, well, but it's just love is love. No, I mean, this is where, again, a whole different podcast, but like in truth, like in Greek, there's four to five words for love. In English, for all the other words that we have, we have a language that has like 200,000 words. When it comes to love, we (laughs) we got one word and it doesn't nearly grasp all the nuances. That's right. You know, to say that. The only proper thing to say is, no, love is God or Right. The other way around. Right. You know, if you want to know what love is, then right. look to God. As you know, Pope, and if that doesn't yeah. make any sense, let me show you a crucifix. Right. You know, this right. is love. You right. know, so I mean, I, if anyone, yeah, it says love is love. It's like, okay, well, trees are trees. Right. And clouds are clouds. And it's like, isn't this fun making no sense whatsoever? Right. You know, I mean, <laughs> you're not saying anything other than. Right. It is, it's a tautology is the right. technical term. That's of right. Just saying the same thing. It, it's interesting you quote, or you mention the cross because Pope Benedict says in Deus Caritas Est, his encyclical God is love. If you want to understand what love is, if you want to define love, yep. he says kneel before the crucifix. Yeah. Look at the pure side of Jesus. He says then you can begin That's right. to understand what love is. Yeah. And I love it because his point is it's a mystery. Once we start claiming, well, I know what love is. Sure. We're on very uncertain territory because then you say, well, I know who God is. I know. Per- yeah. Whoa. And you can say to yourself, whoa, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> True. About to do something bad here. You know, it's um continuing on. Uh, so they carouse fearlessly, yeah. look after themselves. So it points to like a love feast is supposed to be celebrating the selfless love of Jesus. Yeah. And they're carousing. So, you know, you had mentioned how love feast sounds like those Greek feasts. Right. Of sexual immorality and other right, things. Right, right. And that's Jesus' complaint is <clears throat> we're celebrating Christ's death on the cross and you're carousing for your own pleasure and joy and you're looking after them after yourselves, which is a complaint of Ezekiel to the pastors. Uh, you know, they they shepherd themselves. They're not looking out to others. Yeah. Uh, so that's a warning, you know, us as priests, but it's also a warning, you know, for others in terms of going to mass to remember that we're there to receive the love of Jesus. You know, because sometimes we're like, well, what do I get out of it? Mm-hmm. We get a lot out of it, but it's not primarily about my self-interest. Sure. Well, so maybe we'll move on to the, the last few lines here as we try yeah, to very descriptive. Up. He's like, if this analogy doesn't work for you. How about this one? If that doesn't <laughs> work, how about this one? Yeah, so this gets to what I said at the beginning that, you know, so it's it's sin writ large. And because we're people, sometimes we can think of sin as like just breaking the law. And we can kind of short circuit it through shame. He's using very powerful images to help us see like sin is, it's pretty bad. Sure. 
Uh, and again, it's not to shame us. It's just maturity means you can see reality as it is. And part of conversion is being able to see, yeah, my sin, oh, it really causes problems. Like it's no joke. Yeah. Because sometimes in the world today, what happens is like, yeah, you know, Jesus is merciful. You know, we have the divine mercy. You know, it's it's not that bad. You know, don't worry. Oh, no, it's it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sin really creates these kind of situations. And that's how much mercy Jesus has. Because if we lose sight of how bad sin is, then we kind of empty Jesus's death of its meaning. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, sin, yeah, yeah, you know, and Jesus died. It's like, oh, why did he have to die if sin really isn't that bad? Yeah. So here there's images. Uh, one of the commentary points out of all the primary elements. So air, water, wind, and fire. And each of them point to this. So they stress the arrogance and hypocrisy of these teachers because why? They're attractive on the surface, but empty within. And again, if we think this is strong, you know, look at the gospels. Jesus is pretty strong when he talks about hypocrites. Like if there's one thing that kind of ticks Jesus off, sure. <laughs> it's this superficial, you put on, you know, That's right. a, a nice habit, you know, like this, but inside you don't, you don't have anything to back it up. So waterless clouds, again, so if you see clouds, you, especially if you're in Israelite territory where it's mostly desert, you see a cloud and hopefully you get water. But imagine being in a drought, you see clouds come and nothing. Yeah. You know, that would be disappointing. So they're blown about by the winds, you know, without direction. They're fruitless trees in late autumn. So in late autumn, you would expect the trees to be laden with fruit. I remember uh, we had actually fig trees in Texas. And my dad had rocks along the windowsills because he had a, uh, what did David have when he, uh, a slingshot. He had Not a, a slingshot, a sling. A sling. Well, okay. It's different. So he had a sling. Yes. And he had the rocks. Yes. To scare off the birds so that we would actually get the figs because usually by the time they would ripen, the birds had pecked them all out. Uh, so that was kind of a, a fun experience. My dad was actually sad when he hit a bird, <laughs> which was interesting. But you know, Jude's point is I remember how heavy laden these fig trees are. And he's saying, no, you would expect that. Yes. But they have nothing. And late autumn, you know, when they should be filled with it is the, the season. And then, then he mentions twice dead. So they were dead in sin before they knew Christ. And now they've returned, mm -hmm. you know, to their sin. And then even worse, you know, uprooted. So they're upside down, you know, in terms of vertical image. Wild waves of the sea foaming up their shameless deeds. So... If anyone's been near the coast, like in hurricane season, you know, what happens? You have all the trash, you know, all the stuff from the bottom of the sea that starts showing up on the, the seashore. Sometimes we see like environmentalists who have memes of, you know, the dead fish that come up to the to the shore, plastic and other things. So this is another area, so the water, you know, image. And then the wandering stars, so a, a cool little etymology here is a wandering stars in Greek is actually planetes, where we get the word planet. Yeah. Because planet in Greek simply means the wandering stars that didn't follow a, a strict path. That's right. Because they didn't understand fully the, the paths of the planets of back course. then. Um, for whom the, the gloom of darkness has been reserved forever. And that's, you know, a rather stark reminder about the reality of, of hell uh, and how serious this is. Is You know, such strong images only justified because Judah is saying, listen, there's eternal realities at hand here. Yeah. And if you keep going, you're going to make a decision that you can't just be like, oh, wait, let me change my mind. Uh, and that's why he's so stark, at least in my opinion.
Yeah. Absolutely. It's like we were saying at the very beginning, it's all about a warning in a sense, almost a final warning, you know, that, that things are just tending in a, in a situation um, where things are going to become uh, almost irreversible um, because there is kind of that, sadly, that state where people can get so fixed, mm -hmm. you know, if they don't, if they can hear and see right now, uh, well, there is a time where you might be in such darkness, you know, and, and you're so closed off that you can't, you just can't hear it. You know, I think of, um, you know, I was just reading recently, um, Stephen's account, because I was preaching on, you know, St. Paul, uh, and how, of course, Paul started as a, as mm -hmm. a villain, right? Yep. You know, and, and, uh, we see him gloating in a sense on, you know, looking with approval, I think the scriptures, yes. you know, sometimes report yep. it at Stephen's death. But the, one of the images that, that is just so powerful to me is when he, Stephen continues to preach, you know, the truth of Jesus Christ, it describes the people basically putting their hands over their yes. ears. Yeah. You know, because they, they don't, they, they, they can't, it's like, it's painful to them. Right. It's now become to the point where they can't even hear anymore. And they're like the kid going, la, 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 I can't hear you, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and rushing to, to kill this man. Right. You know, and <clears throat> what a horrible state mm -hmm. for any human individual to right. find themselves in where they, they can't open themselves up to listen to what's actually being said, mm -hmm. to hear the warnings. You know, of course, then later on, Paul gets his warning from Christ, you know, and Christ is like, he blinds him, mm -hmm. you know? So it, it, uh, and it's like, if you want to fix this blindness, then do what I tell you. Right. You know? All right. So all of this, you know, and even, uh, you know, the mention of sin, which we've said the word, I, you know, hopefully no one turned our podcast into a drinking game. If they, took a shot every time we said the word sin they'd be well thrice <laughs> drunk um they'd be carousing themselves that's right as but you know i always find it very helpful too to and i know we're just a little bit over but i think this point is important i love the understanding of sin in the context of archery mm, yes right yeah. yep so uh, it was the ancient Greeks that that they would use the word sin, with, you know, in, in the context of archery, that if you missed your target, you right. sinned with your arrow. Right. And it's helpful in this way that it goes back to what we said, you know, throughout these different podcasts, that people who do evil aren't trying to do evil for the sake right. of evil. They're trying to do good. So someone who's shooting an arrow at a target and he misses... His intent was, well, to hit something proper. Right. And so when somebody is sinning, finds himself in the, you know, and, and you know, pick it, you know, whether it's sexual immorality, you have some people, let's say a man and a woman having relations with one another as if they were married, but they're not married. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to do something good. They're, they right. love authentically the other person. And the other person, to. exactly, yeah. right. I mean, there's there's the kernel of actual, they they want to to tell the other person that you are worthy of my love right. and vice versa. Right. However, there are different impediments there. Perhaps they're using contraception. So they're basically saying, I want to give you most of myself, but not all of myself. Right. And I want to do it as long as it's, you know, kind of mutually beneficial to me. I don't want to be in a 
lifelong fidelity, you know, faithful, yeah. uh, you know, so there's, it's lacking the various components to be fully loving, but then that's why they're sinning, right? They're trying to hit a target, right? but they're, they're missing the mark, so to speak. And if, if we carry the analogy even further, you know, what's going to happen if there's a target and there's all these other people around the target and they're just shooting arrows all over the place, you got people getting wounded left and right, like falling down because yep. of all these stray arrows. Huh. And that's that's a, a way of thinking about how damaging sin can be. Mm-hmm. And so the only way that we can possibly, well, first of all, know how to shoot properly, <laughs> you know, yes. but also know what our target is, right. is through the words of Jesus Christ, right. is through the words of, you know, the guidance of the Holy Church, you know, is through the, the example of the lives of the saints, you know, mm-hmm. and, and prayers for each other. This is how we will become marksmen. Right. This is how we hit our target. This is how we, you know, so. And that gets to why it's so important, daily prayer, yeah. sacraments, yeah. and other things, because, you know, the saints didn't get bullseye on the first try that they shot. That's it right. It requires constant practice. That's and right. as disciples, we're, we're students of Jesus. You know, we have to keep learning. So I'll give my last two senses. You know, I think of Our Lady because she showed a hell to the children at Fatima. And it's akin to what Jude is doing yeah, here. Yeah. Uh, and one could be kind of shocked because Our Lady is gentle and <laughs> merciful. And if we think about the age of these children, I mean, we're yeah. talking about like five, six, you know, and 12, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, and yet she shows them hell. And, and her point isn't to freak them out, but rather to Im- impose or to impress upon them the importance of having pity on sinners. And that's your point. Like they're missing the mark. And if we're truly reading this correct, it should evoke pity and mercy for sinners, not right. like you horrible people That's have right. to do this as much as to motivate us. Like if we're not involved in these sins, God be praised. But then we should be committed like the children at Fatima because Our Lady asked, are you willing to suffer that these these sinners like snowflakes don't fall into hell? And they said, yes. Yeah. And I'll say that's a way to read this is that Our Lady too issues this stark warning because she sees her beloved children, she, you know, falling into hell. She says like snowflakes, you know, down there. So for us, it's also a call to do all that we can, sacrifice, pray, and preach the gospel, to be people who warn others. You know, Jesus impresses on us the need to fraternally correct because some of God's rebuking, like for Cain, Balaam, and Korah, come through other people saying, hey, you know, whoa, yeah. you, know, you need to pull back. And that's a real act of love. And we need to do that today. We shouldn't be, you know, shamefaced and timid because, you know, probably get rejected. We'll probably, sure. you know, be criticized. But I'd rather be rejected by another human being and that person not go to hell yeah. and somehow kind of preserve my peace and have people, you know, take part in the second death and waves of the sea that our Jew talks about. So it's been another wonderful conversation. I uh, look forward to pressing ahead and yeah. soon wrapping this up. So I'm Father Thaddeus. And I'm Father Timothy. And we thank you very much for joining us for this episode. We ask you to pray for us as we continue to pray for you. Immaculata Virginis Maria Conceptio. Sit nobis salus et protectio. May the Virgin Mary's Immaculate Conception be our health and our protection. God bless. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to watch it as well. You can find the video version of Keeping It Marian exclusively on divinemercyplus.org the streaming site for all things Marian. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org.
Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.